Welcome to Running Off the Rails. My name is Raymond O'Connor. And I'm Ariel Rasco. And today we're discussing one-shots. How can a DM deliver an effective and compelling one-shot in a single sitting? So often it feels like we sit down and we write a one-shot, and then we go to present it to our friends, and we think that it's going to take two hours, three hours, maybe four hours tops, and then before we know it, we're five hours into the adventure, and we're only a third of the way through. I know that was my first experience the first time I tried to run a one-shot. I set my sights way too high, and my players didn't even leave the first town. Uh, it's maybe an anecdote that I'll save for the end of the episode for anyone who sticks around that long, because it's just a horror story, and it's not going to get us any closer to delivering value. So we'll talk about some some really good examples that aren't written by us first uh, before we dive into anything like that. So Ariel, do you have anything to say about delivering effective one-shots? It's definitely very difficult. I have a group that I play with where we rotate DMs, and we call it our one-shot group, but we give everybody a minimum of two sessions to run it. So I think this idea that one-shots aren't really one-shots is kind of prevalent in the D&D world, but Ray and I have both run single-session one-shots many times, and I think it's very doable and a good thing to learn because many people won't be able to commit to multiple weeks of D&D. So we have some advice for how to do that. I think we want to start with the idea of having an objective that not only you know, but your players know as well. If your players know what their objective is when they're sitting at the table playing through your one-shot, they won't meander as much away from the plot that you have in the back of your mind. I think that is great advice. I think that when you don't give your players an objective, you're putting way too much pressure on yourself to constantly be guiding the party in the correct direction, especially if they start to drift in maybe the wrong direction or the opposite direction. Sure, you can roll with the punches and improvise and give them something that wasn't what you had planned, but usually a one-shot is best delivered when the players get to a big climactic ending at the end, as opposed to something that maybe you improvised off the cuff because you don't really have an opportunity to fix it in the next session. You really need to get them to a climactic ending within the time constraint that you have laid out for yourself. Exactly. Like Ray's pointing out, there's kind of this two-pronged situation going on. What are you doing as the DM to get through the one-shot, and what are your players doing in your setting? So our second piece of advice focuses a little bit on what you're doing as the DM, but it affects what your players can do. And that is to keep your setting restricted somehow. And there's two different ways we can kind of go about that. There's an obvious way where you have a small space or a small location that the players are in, maybe a pirate ship or a bank heist, something where they're not going very far. But there's another way that Ray pointed out to me that you can also do this as well. This actually, this point of advice is to keep your setting very tightly connected. This is something that we've talked about in greater adventure design or campaign design, where all of your NPCs or all of your factions and all of your locations should have these like tethers creating an interconnected web that no matter what direction the players go in, they are going in the direction of your campaign. If we zoom in on the one shot, 
and we apply that feedback to a one-shot, what does that mean? Well, it means that you shouldn't really put any characters in front of your players that aren't directly connected to the objective that you lay out for them at the beginning of the one-shot. Anything other than that is a red herring. It's something that your players could latch onto because they're thinking to themselves, why would the DM put this butcher here unless he is maybe like, the secret villain behind all of this. Let's go interrogate this guy. No, no, no. He was just there to fill in the background to make my town feel more believable. You really, as a DM, I think when you're trying to run an effective one-shot, want to resist the urge to fill out the background of your world. Sure, is it less believable that this town seems to be filled with like faceless and nameless, uninteresting individuals? Definitely. But if you're dropping the player in the town with the explicit purpose of getting them out of the town and into the forest where the one shot ends, then you really want to limit how interesting that village is so that your players gravitate towards the thing that is interesting and has a lot going on. Right. This idea that it makes your setting a little bit less rich, that can be the case. And if we were running just a normal campaign, I would love to let my players talk to some random NPC that they thought was really funny, and they could have a long conversation with them about weird things that didn't really matter. I think those sessions of D&D are really special and are a lot of fun for every campaign that I've run. It's something I look forward to when I play D&D with my friends. What are they going to pick up on this time that I didn't expect? With one-shots, you have a time constraint. And that could be you're running uh, in a specific window of time at a convention or you're running with people who are from out of town and you really cannot waste an hour talking to somebody who you didn't plan on the party talking to. So this is why we make sure that everyone in the setting is somebody we did plan on the party talking to. Everyone is fitting together with the plot somehow. That way, even if you're not on a pirate ship or in a bank heist, and you're letting the players move around a big town, every person in this town is sending them on the adventure that you planned. And so it really keeps the players moving towards the final goal, even if they feel like they're still able to explore and branch out a little bit more on their own. And I think this also is related to another problem that I've run into when I myself have been playing in one-shots that have run way over the time constraint or just didn't feel all that great to finish. And that is to resist the urge to drop in random encounters into the middle of your one-shot that have nothing to do with the plot. So if you're, playing, if you're thinking like, oh, it's a one-shot, it should have three encounters, don't have your middle encounter be a random wolf battle or a random octopus battle. So one one-shot that I played in that ran way over time was we were going to try and find a ghost ship. And the second encounter that we ran into was our ship was attacked by an octopus that had nothing to do with the plot. The battle against the octopus took two hours, ran way over time. And when we killed it, that was just it. Our ship had been attacked by an octopus and now we had to go and finish the rest of the adventure. There was no loot. There was, there was nothing there. When I was playing in a different one-shot, we were trekking across the Arctic to try and rescue 
a group of people who had been captured in this bunker. And we were attacked by ghosts that had nothing to do with the adventure that we were on. It was just a part of the setting. And the same thing happened. The combat took a full hour to finish fighting all of the ghosts. And by the end of it, it didn't develop the plot in any significant way or any way at all. When you're sitting down and you know you have a limited amount of time to play and you're only going to get to kind of experience these characters for a little bit of time, every encounter that you're dropping in front of your players, every NPC, everything that they're running into should be interconnected with the greater plot. This reminds me a lot of the episode we did about travel, where we were talking about ways to make travel more interesting in D&D and how you can include pieces of your main plot in the loot that monsters or bandits have on them when you loot the bodies. Or you can have a magical phenomenon that's relevant to your plot affect the monsters that you're fighting along the way. And that way, every little encounter, everything you do, is keeping the plot moving forward. It's keeping the players thinking about their end goal and giving them more information that can help them move through the plot quicker and discover things about your adventure. That way, your one-shot still has encounters and still has combat, but they're not random. They're moving things forward. And we have a lot of examples of how you can do that effectively in our travel episode. And then the last section that we want to talk about for delivering an effective one-shot is timing. How your timing and pacing relates to the way that you've cut up your adventure, whether that be into scenes, acts, or if you're trying to run a dungeon into the different rooms of your dungeon that are imperative for your players to experience before they get to the end of your adventure. That's right. Pacing manifests in many different ways. So you can think about all the different scenes that you have and move through those with transitions. That can really pick up the pace. That's my favorite way of really working out the pace of a one-shot. I spot a moment where I can move the party from one part of the story to another. Ending a combat is a very common place for that to happen. One of the ways you can also do that is by describing the end of the day. You go to sleep, you wake up the next morning, and you start off on your way to the tavern. Then they're already on their way, they're already moving. They don't spend a lot of time making breakfast and doing some more nonchalant things that you might do in a longer campaign. Without further ado, let's just start picking through some of these examples. I think the best example that we have prepared that kind of shows off the most simple one-shot that you can run, really no frills with the highest chance of success, and success being your players having a good time getting from the beginning to the end of your adventure in the amount of time that you've set out for the evening, is the A Wild Sheep Chase one-shot by the Reddit user The Rainy Days. This is a really well-contained adventure that is going to really demonstrate some of these principles that we've outlined. So let's start with the first one. There's an objective, a very, very clear objective. A sheep comes up to you and you find out that this sheep was polymorphed and was really originally a powerful wizard. And your objective in the one shot is to turn the sheep back into a wizard. Very simple, can be said in one sentence, and everybody knows what they're trying to do the whole time. And then the sheep also lays out the best way for you to turn him back into a wizard. They describe, hey, 
I've been true polymorphed, which means that you need to true polymorph me back. Lucky for you, I know where there's a wand of true polymorph. My apprentice stole it from me, but watch out, he's probably going to be sending some people to try and get me back before I can find some adventurers to help me. This is a really good example of telling your players what the objective is. You don't have to hide it. You don't have to have a big plan as the DM that your players discover. One-shots don't have to be about a lot of discovery, especially about the main objective. The players are told from the get-go exactly what they need to do. And then, if your players were the type of chaotic players that I typically run for, and they were thinking like, eh, maybe we don't want to do this, or like, let's go find out what adventure is going on over in the woods, that's when the sheep's pursuers show up, and they attack the players and the party, and give your players a reason to help the sheep. I've found that anytime you want your players to go for a particular objective, all you really need to do is put somebody in front of them that challenges their authority as adventurers and basically calls them weak and tries to defeat them in combat. And then now your players are in this position where, oh, well, to feel heroic all we need, or feel powerful, all we need to do is prove this person wrong, that they were wrong and they shouldn't have picked a fight with us. So then the first of three NPCs show up named Guz. He's an orc and he's accompanied by some guards. There are some really clever things going on here, right here in this first scene of the one-shot to help make sure that this one-shot is going to be really successful. What we have is a group of NPCs where the only NPC that matters the only NPC that we want the players to talk to is an orc, and the other NPCs were actually polymorphed as well into animals. So the players can't even go off script talking to them. They have to fight them. There's no ifs, ands, or buts, really. You just have in a combat that is very straightforward. And if they want to talk to Guz, he's extremely familiar with the whole story. So this is another example of having a very interconnected web of characters. The characters who wouldn't know the whole story, who wouldn't know the details of this wand of true polymorph, they're not given speaking roles. Just Guz. He's the only one you can talk to. And he knows about all the problems. So it's a very interconnected web. The sheep knows Guz, Guz knows the sheep, and the sheep and Guz both know the third character. So after you defeat Guz, if you're the average Dungeons and Dragons player, you're probably bought into the sheep's story. You believe that they are worth uh, listening to and that they actually can reward you after you turn them back into a powerful wizard. So you go with the sheep through the woods back to the place where the sheep came from, the place where they were being held captive by this wizard's former apprentice. Their name is Ahmed Noak, and they have a few very cool defenses but they're still an apprentice. So you have an interesting combat coming up where all of the apprentice's powers are the spells that he casts. And it's a very cool combat and the players are going to enjoy it and it's going to be different from normal combats because this combat involves a wand of true polymorph. And one of the things that can happen here is a dragon wormling can be summoned. So you've got all these fun pieces that tie into the original plot 
you're continuing to think about the wand of true polymorph even in these encounters you see it being used the players have the opportunity to steal it to stop the combat prematurely so you can use those as pacing tools and the whole time everybody knows what's going on your players know there's this wand of true polymorph they know that's what they need to look after the sheep might even be able to help you in the combat to distract Ahmed. So the sheep is also involved in the same plot that your players are in. And that's basically the entire adventure. The adventure kind of talks about the different ways that your players can try to have agency, right? So this isn't a railroad. This is a little bit sandboxy once they show up to the place of the final encounter. And because this adventure is only two scenes long, you as the DM have a lot of freedom to allow your players to get really sandboxy with it. Do they want to try and lure Ahmed out of his wizard's tower by tricking him into thinking that the players are asking him to perform magic for a fabulous prize or a fabulous fee? Perhaps they're like, hey, we need you to true polymorph this thing for us uh, as a way to get him out of the tower and get him away from his guards. The adventure does give some room for freedom, but... It's really short and to the point. I think that if you are a DM that is really nervous about running your first session of Dungeons & Dragons, this is a great example of something to run. Yeah, it is extremely helpful for new DMs because it talks about these scene transitions and the pacing explicitly in the module that they give you. For instance, there's one line that I really like. It's at the very end of the opening. It says... The sheep will attempt to tell you its story, but shortly after he starts, the sound of howling fills the air. So this is a scene transition that is being given to you. If you're not that good at pacing things in general, you now interrupt a story, howling fills the air, and that's where you have these polymorphed guards turned into wolves that walk around with Guz, and you immediately have the next scene. You immediately have the scene with Guz and the players starting the combat. So it really holds your hand through these transitions, and I feel like the pacing is just rock solid. You will not get off track with this. You will be able to move your players naturally and in a fun way through the story. Yeah, I feel like you could get from beginning, middle, to end with an experienced group of players within maybe an hour and a half, especially if you're an experienced DM. And if you're an inexperienced DM playing with inexperienced players... I think this would probably maybe take you around like three hours to get through, depending on what the style of you as a DM is and what the style of your group is. And it includes as the DM the opportunity to roleplay a sheep. (laughs) At the beginning, the sheep can't speak common. So you just get to kind of as a DM and all your players will laugh at you for how poorly you've done. Yeah, anytime that you can kind of like be goofy in front of your players, especially new players, it will really break the ice, I've found, and puts them in a position where they're like, oh, I can be goofy too, uh, and kind of like step into some like really weird character quirks and stuff like that. The next example we wanted to talk about is <clears throat> is a one-shot that we've actually gone over before, and this is the Workshop Watches. So this is the first article of MCDM's Arcadia 1. I've actually had the privilege of running this adventure in a one-shot with two new players and a very unexperienced player, and it was a it was a great experience. And it is a more complex adventure that still 
allows DMs to hit these specific principles that we've been talking about that allow you to construct and run an effective one-shot. We really liked this one-shot as an example because we still wanted you as a DM to give your players the feeling of discovery and adventure. With the wild sheep chase, there's a little bit less walking around and exploring weird things, which I think is a real central tenet of great D&D. This workshop launches adventure is a great one-shot for getting your players the opportunity to explore and discover and really enjoy that part of D&D, while still being able to run it in just one day. Yeah, so when we're thinking about the principles, what is the, the goal of this adventure? Well, the adventure opens up with the adventurers talking to a wealthy merchant who wants them to go and find out what happened to a group of wizards that were working in a laboratory. Right there, that's pretty easy. I have some money for you if you can come back with proof and information. The players go off and get to the laboratory. I would suggest basically fast traveling them there as the adventure kind of talks about. You roll like a survival check and then you arrive at the door of this dungeon. And the dungeon accomplishes the goal of the sandbox, the limited amount of area that the players can go to roam. If you're a new DM or you're running for a particularly chaotic group of players, you can actually start them off at the door of the dungeon and give them a little bit of a hot start. This is what happened. This person hired you for this task and you spent about three hours traveling through the woods to get to this mountainside and now you have arrived. This hot start idea that Ray's talking about is a really cool tool for pacing. It jumps the players right into it so they're ready to sit down and play Dungeons and Dragons, which I think for the rest of the game sets the tone that we're moving at a good clip. We're going to have fun. We're going to stick to the script a little bit. We're going to play through this adventure. There's a little bit less dilly-dallying. So not only does the hot start actually save you time by skipping that kind of initial conversation about finding information and telling that to the players as the DM outside of the game, it also sets the tone for a quick play adventure. So I really like this tool of a hot start. I think it's excellent for any one shot and if you can incorporate it somehow, I think it's gonna be really, really successful. The other thing I like about the workshop watches with regard to these tenants of a good one shot is that it also a little bit tells you the objective as the players once you get into the workshop. Your objective becomes to interact with Sam. And I think that's also this very clear, interesting objective that your players know immediately, oh, there's this intelligence in the workshop, that's Sam, reference to Hal from 2001. And also, Sam is the knowledge that you need. Sam does have all the information, Sam just doesn't necessarily want to give it to you. So this objective, again, once you get inside the workshop, becomes very clear to the players. And I think this adventure does something really well, which I think isn't necessary to pull off an effective one-shot, but is probably a staple of a lot of the one-shots that I've really enjoyed the most, which is a really nice twist. So something that is unexpected that the players discover at the end of the adventure. And we've talked about the workshop watches before. If you want to avoid spoilers, now is the time to maybe skip five minutes ahead in the episode. But the twist is that Sam actually killed 
the wizards who were working in the workshop watches, and he is constructing a body for himself at the end of the adventure. So as the players achieve the goal of finding out what happened to the wizards, they immediately discover a pressing new objective, which is to handle or stop Sam from being unleashed on the world and escaping in his new body that he constructed for himself. You achieve the goal of the adventure, and then boom, there's this unexpected combat, which I think would be a little bit different if the objective was outlined by the merchant in the beginning of the adventure. Say they said, hey, I think that the experiment that the wizards have been working on up at the workshop has gone rogue. The goal of the adventure is to stop Sam. I think that if you can like mask a goal so that the players know they're working towards something, but then you put a twist on that goal at the very end of the adventure, that can also be pretty satisfying as well. Yeah, I really love this idea where you, as the players, experience something weird and experience something scary or exciting. You know, in the wild sheep chase, it's just weird. It's, you know, a sheep that is a wizard, and that's not your normal day D&D experience, I think. But in terms of the workshop watches, it's a little bit scary. It's a little bit macabre that all these wizards died. And I think that kind of exciting, unexpected thing you'll talk about for, you know, the next week while you're waiting for the next session is really, really a sign of a good one shot. I'm glad that, you know, workshop watches has such a cool example of that. I think if you can incorporate that into your one shots, they'll be all that much better and they'll feel more polished and professional at the same time having a good ending also i think is important for a good one shot you want everyone to leave the table after a day of DD feeling like they finished something like they accomplished something so i like that idea as well that the workshop watches if you do defeat sam gives you that feeling that oh it's over there's nothing more right we did it and then maybe the players the thing that it sticks with them is whether or not they should have defeated Sam in the first place, or maybe they should have tried to help Sam. Um, and that's kind of like the thing that, that they think like, what if at the end of the adventure, which I think is also probably a sign of some of the more memorable one shots that I've played or participated in is the idea that at the very end of the adventure, there was a decision that was made by maybe one of the players or all of the players And it leaves the players thinking, well, what if we had chosen the other thing? So maybe if you're trying to bring your one-shots to the next level, that's a thing that you could add to your adventure, which is the twist is actually a choice to be made at the end of the adventure. Another thing that this adventure does really well is it is a modular dungeon. It isn't written as a modular dungeon, but if you look at it, you can tell it's a modular dungeon, and it's split up into three sections. The first section is the exploration of the place where the wizards live and kind of like cohabitate. This is a hallway with rooms going off to the right and the left that can be explored or not explored. So if you are pressed for time, maybe you basically lock some of the doors that you don't want the players to go in and spend more time or waste air quotes more time in because they need to get to the end of the adventure and you unlock the door at the very end of the hall you can do this via sam who has control over all the locks in the 
the workshop and maybe he has something that he needs to show the players or something, which brings them to the second section of the workshop, which is the greenhouse where there is written a combat encounter. But if you're running short on time, again, it doesn't have to be nearly as difficult of a combat encounter. It can just be a reveal that occurs in this room. And then they leave this room and go and confront Sam. So having these like three different sections of the adventure where the first two sections of the adventure can be adjusted in how much time they take gives the DM a lot of power to keep the adventure on schedule. Right. If we're thinking of the wild sheep chase as having multiple scenes and the workshop watches as having multiple scenes, the modular dungeon has the benefit where you can actually cut out scenes. Whereas in a more linear story like the wild sheep, you need to hit all of those beats. So modular dungeons are a really great way to run a one shot where you put in as much as necessary. You take out when you don't have time and it's easy and flexible and the story keeps moving forward while the players have no idea that you skipped a whole thing that you planned. So dungeons, people tend to think of as not a good option for one-shots because you can get lost in them. The alternative is that if you're planning well and you're the DM and you're able to actually move the dungeon around, then dungeons are perfect for one-shots. So as long as you're not too fixated on exactly where your players need to go, if you have a dungeon where you can move the doors around and move the rooms around, then you've got a perfect one-shot. I think a tactic that I've used in the past that's that's really nice is if you want an adventure that feels a little bit longer than two scenes, which the sheep chase is, is basically kind of like two scenes, so making your middle scene not necessary to the plot. Not something that has to happen, but something that definitely adds to the story. Would it be nice for your players to experience beginning, middle, end, end? Absolutely. That's what you're aiming for. That's what you're pacing for. But if you're trying to be a little bit more ambitious about the story that you're trying to deliver, take a look at your story and say, could I cut out the middle part of my adventure? And would my story still make sense? And would it still feel like a complete session of Dungeons and Dragons and make sure that answer is yes so that if your players are reveling in that first scene and they're just having a great time maybe role-playing or the combat is like awesome and they're they're really into it and you have the freedom to pull that middle section out and your players never even need to know that there was some content that you didn't have enough time to cover and then you can kind of like fast travel them to the end. An easy way to do this is with information and access to information. If you need to find out where the villain is hiding, you could have the NPC that you meet in scene one know that information, or you could have the NPC in scene one not know that information, but know where to find that information. And then you have a beginning and middle. You meet somebody, they tell you where you can find the information, you do an encounter and a small story to find that information. That's your middle, and then your end is fighting the villain. But if your first NPC already knew that information, you can skip right to the villain at the end if it turns out that your party did a lot of meet and greet and socializing and silly things in the opening. Yeah, and sometimes the, the best one-shots that I've ever run have been 
uh, meet and greet and silliness and just like absurd role playing that the players were doing with each other as they were like feeling out Dungeons and Dragons. I've had one player start combat with another player just because they were kind of like testing out the boundaries of what Dungeons and Dragons is and everybody was reveling in that moment and the bard needed to de-escalate that combat between those two players and they like charm person one of the people to get them to calm down <laughs> and like sang the uh, sing a song for the other person like at the table because uh, they happened to be a musician in real life and these were my coworkers, and they loved it they were having a blast with each other we were drinking some beers and as they were doing this i was just letting them go kind of just nudging them in the direction of maybe you might make like an insight check here or something basically as they were going i was just behind my dm screen removing content just ripping pages out <laughs> yeah just ripping pages out being like what can i cut out of this adventure to give them more time for this because they're having a great time and still get to the end of the adventure on time i totally agree that's why me and my friends who do some one shots regularly always plan for two sessions because we want to have that silly ridiculous opening where we're meeting all our new characters and teasing each other and trying to figure out our characters backstories like we're, we're all trying to do things that are so meta and not relevant to the plot that we kind of have a whole session where we're doing like very little and i think it's because we love that it's so fun and even for your one shot you can still get that hilarious fun meeting everybody opening if you're prepared to cut out the middle if you have a story where you can jump towards the end game very quickly so now, now that we've gotten through the two examples that we wanted to get to, I want to share my horror story of the first time that I actually ever ran Dungeons & Dragons. I don't think I've heard this story. I don't think you have either. Uh, I'm excited. It's embarrassing. Uh, so <laughs> I was I was a bright-eyed and bushy-tailed young DM. Um, I had actually had Ariel been running... Uh, Curse of Strahd for me for a few months and I was like wow this is what Dungeons and Dragons can be this is amazing I hadn't seen Critical Role yet I was really just inspired by the example that Ariel had put forward and the example of one or two other DMs that I had had a privilege of playing for and I wrote this entire adventure that I thought was three acts so so I'll, I'll tell you the story uh, that I had planned to present in a in a six hour one shot um, that I was going to play with some new players, all basically all of them being new players except for Mark. Oh, yeah, my God. Yeah. I, I just really wanted to show my roommates what Dungeons & Dragons was, and it, it was a great time. We had a blast, but yeah. So I'll just I'll tell the story. <laughs> you, you can draw some conclusions. Oh, yeah. Great that you invited everybody. Just a mistake that you didn't add an extra, like, 10 right. hours for... <laughs> for getting everybody excited right, exactly, about D&D. Exactly. So, I, so I did some things right. I made their characters ahead of time. I stripped them down so they were like the most basic versions of their character sheets and they were level two characters. So those things I did correctly. What I had no idea of or no real good litmus test for was how much content you can cover in a single setting. So I made, a, I made an island that was going to be kind of like themed uh, like feudal Japan and the players were going to basically wash up on shore shipwrecked. They were going to start on one side of the island and try to get to the other side of the island to defeat the emperor 
uh, of the of this like small like this continent sized uh, this like New Zealand sized island. Um, now, in retrospect, I'm realizing that's that's about how big it was. And that's all the stuff that you had planned and written out. Like, you'd written out the details of this entire island before the one shot. Exactly. I detailed the town that they were going to start off when. I fully populated that town with NPCs who all were indiv- had individual names. And I, like, gave them a map of the town. And every house had populated people in the houses and like stuff going on in the houses there were for the act two of the adventure they could go to one of three different locations one they could go to this like old broken down temple where they could get this powerful magic item that was like the opposite the yin yang of the magic item that the emperor had that was actually corrupting him another place that they could go to was the the camp of the like rebel samurai who were kind of like the resistance and they could ally themselves with them and go with them to fight with them in the capital to go and defeat the emperor and then the last place they could go was actually the camp of the emperor's army one of the generals was actually very not happy with the way the emperor was behaving all of a sudden because the twist that was going to be at the end was that he was being like mind controlled by this person who had just shown up on the island so you have like multiple factions going on in this one shot. Yeah, there were there were like four different factions. And I'm sure it will not be shocking to you at all that in the six hours that we were playing, the players never left that first town. So <laughs> because when you think about it, I literally did everything that we've told people not to do. I, I put like 20 different NPCs in front of all the players, and I put explorable locations in front of them. Very video game style. They were like, oh, well, we got to go into every single one of these houses and see what's in here because there could be loot in any one of these, any of these houses. So they had to like explore all the houses. Right. They want to get all the loot like a video game because, you know, that's probably what they had a lot more experience of. And you gave them a whole town. I mean, like a whole town is a, a campaign, I feel like, especially for new players. Yep, yep. I, I'm inclined to agree with you now. So what happened was I was like, okay, but I, I know I know what I'll do. I'll, I'll put these enemies in front of them. And then once they save the town, I'll have the town elder be like, oh, you're powerful adventurers. You can go and ally with these other powerful people. And you could either go here or you could go here or you could go here and then go to the temple. So they were in the town and these enemy soldiers show up and basically demand that they surrender. So one of the players surrenders. Wow. And <laughs> immediately Amazing. and is just like, yeah, I surrender all my stuff and I don't fight them. And then the other players start attacking the enemies and they get into like a classic D&D combat one of the players takes down one of the enemies and the player who had given up was like, well, these guys seem like they're in a position of authority. So I kind of want to help them. Can I heal them? So he burns a spell slot to bring up one of the downed enemies, Oh my! Uh, which God. prolongs that combat even longer. So that combat took like two and a half hours. They, they finally defeat the invading soldiers, which was a blast. We had such a good time. They were like acting out the combat uh, and doing all this wacky stuff. We were having a really good time. And then once the soldiers are done, 
Brian, I think, <laughs> grabs one of the town people and starts interrogating them because he thinks someone in the town like ratted on them, that they were there and that's why the soldiers came. So he starts threatening the people of the town and demanding that they tell them what they know about the bad guys who just visited. And they don't know anything. So like, I'm, I'm a brand new DM. I'm like, oh, well, like the world is the world and I'm not gonna change the world based on what the players are doing these villagers don't know anything then so they right. don't they don't they don't they can't tell you anything your players will like learn that there's somebody else that does know and they should find that out and these villagers don't know which makes sense and now your world is more realistic and they're doing all this discovery like sherlock holmesy type stuff and it takes like four sessions to get all that stuff done normally i think Absolutely. And the, the village elder was going to was going to like regale them as heroes and basically share with them this like sensitive information. But uh, because they start threatening the people of the town, he doesn't want to do that. So what do they what do they start doing? They escalate the threatening to oh, actually yeah. murdering people, systematically murdering people in the town one by one. And because my friends are very used to like video games and we've been drinking a little bit at this point, they start one-upping each other in the most brutal ways that they can murder these innocent villagers. So uh, one memorable moment that we always kind of like Oh, remember when this happened was <laughs> when my buddy my buddy Sean uh, goes into a house and he demands that they tell him where the stronghold of the enemies are. And before one of the people has an opportunity to answer him, because at this point I'm like, okay, the next person that they try to interrogate, I'm just going to give them all of the, I'm just going to give them everything to get them out of You were learning to DM in real time. <laughs> right, exactly. He, he kills all of them before giving them an opportunity to speak. <laughs> Then he hears a commotion going a few houses over because they've all split up now and they've all gone to into different houses to interrogate people wow. separately at the same wow. time. And he hears he hears like screaming from another house because my buddy Brian is witch bolting like a like an old father in his house. So there's a lot to learn here. And I'll say the easiest way to avoid situations like this is to take control of your transitions as a DM. If you oh, if you yeah, know yeah. that the combat has ended and you want to avoid your entire session going to murder robo <laughs> because you've got new players that play a bunch of video games, take the reins as the DM. You can say you've ended the combat, you find out this, and we're moving on. <laughs> Instead of letting your players murder everyone in the town oh my god oh my god i'm crying remembering this memory well i think that's a good place to to cut this episode yeah <laughs> all right well just in 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 summary um clear goal for your one shot limit the size of your sandbox both physically uh and by the number of npcs that you're going to put in front of your players and Slice your adventure into transitions and be able to know when you need to be getting to certain sections of your adventure and ideally be able to cut out entire sections to be able to adapt to the speed that your players are moving in. 
And uh, until next time, I'm Raymond O'Connor. And I'm Ariel Rasco. And thanks for listening to Running Off the Rails. If you enjoyed Running Off the Rails, please like, follow, and review our show on your platform of choice. Please follow our Instagram, Running Off the Rails, for notifications whenever we release a blog post, a new episode, or new content on the DMs Guild. If you prefer a specific type of content, please send us a message on Instagram. The jam you are listening to is Hoist by Andy G. Cohen, and you can find Hoist and more of Cohen's music on the Free Music Archive. You can find links to all of our content at runningofftherails.com or on our Facebook page, Running Off the Rails.